Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for how it speaks very clearly to us as believers in Jesus Christ. And help us in Christ to hear what we need to hear, to see, open our eyes, to behold wonderful things from your law. Help us to see that we're not under law. Of course, Lord, this is your word and help us through the gospel as we see that this this your word speaks to unbelievers here this morning. And to believers, Lord, would you indeed be at work by your spirits? We pray in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. Look at verse one. And I'll give you just uh, eight seconds to glance again at verse 15 before I read verse one. Glance at verse 15. Now, verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Romans 6, 2. Romans 6, 2. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Freedom is an illusion. Second thing this morning is that we as a church uh, don't believe in free will. Now, maybe I need to unpack those things that I've just said, and I want to do that. Please don't think I'm too crazy. Let me just at least for now briefly say, when I say that freedom is an illusion, what I mean mainly is that freedom is an illusion. (laughs) Freedom as we understand it is an illusion. Certainly when compared to the uh, text of God's Word, and the same goes for, and I'll speak more to this, I think, to that whole issue of free will, which we would so take for granted and which we would think would be just uh, an assumed foundation. It's really not what we think it is. The title this morning is Slaves of Christ. Slaves of Christ. One of my favorite guys, Charles Leiter, says that there was, a, uh, there was an awakening in the British Isles under the ministry of a man named Nicholson. And in this awakening in the British Isles under this particular pastor, multitudes of rough dock workers were converted. So many stolen goods were returned by these men that the warehouses were filled to capacity and a company order had to be given, please don't bring back any more stolen goods as these rough dock workers were converted to Christ in this time of a a revival and awakening. And Leiter says, such is the slavery of the Christian to righteousness. And what a blessed freedom it is. Our text is Romans 6, 15 through 23. Romans 6, 15 through 23. And we consider the issue of slavery. Now, In Romans chapter 7, in Romans 7, we see that we are free from slavery or bondage to the law. 
We are free from slavery or bondage to the law in Romans chapter 7. But that's for another time. Today in Romans chapter 6, in a similar fashion, we see that we are free from slavery to sin. We are free from bondage to sin. And so with that idea as the heading for Romans chapter 6, we as believers in Jesus Christ are free from slavery to sin. Let's think about a few points here in our text. First one is this. First one is this. I want us to see that slavery is the issue in this text. Okay? Slavery is the issue in this text. Now look at this with me. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Middle of verse 19, for just as you once presented your members as, as what? As slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness. For when you were slaves of sin, verse 20, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Slaves of God. The title that I gave you this morning is Slaves of Christ, but to be strictly textual, strictly according to the text, the most appropriate uh, theme this morning would be Slaves of Righteousness. Slaves of Righteousness. Or as we just read in verse 22, Slaves of God. Now, we just notice in a very simple looking at this that slavery is the issue in this text. In verses 15 through 23, slavery is the issue. Uh, slavery back then in this context in what we might call the, the Greco-Roman world is, uh, was not identical to slavery as we think about it in the 17th through 19th centuries. As we think about slavery, slavery here in the background, in the context, slaves could earn a wage. They could often earn a decent wage such that they could earn enough even to gain their own freedom. So there are some, some key differences. And as Paul's going to go on to say, uh, he's writing to people who are well aware of this phenomenon, this phenomenon of slavery. In fact, many would have no doubt had uh, acquaintance in the church to which he writes. And so he's going to say, uh, I'm writing this to you because of your natural, your human limitations. I'm using a metaphor. I'm using an image to speak to you about what? What is this metaphor when we read in the New Testament, not just here, but in other places about slavery to Christ? It's a metaphor for complete devotion to Jesus. Complete devotion to Jesus. Slavery is the issue in this text. It's not only in verses 15 through 23. 
But it's also earlier. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Number one, slavery is the issue in this text. Number two, justification and sanctification go together. Justification and sanctification go together. When you come to Romans chapter 6, you might say, although we want to be careful when we say this, you might say you're getting into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty, a little bit more of the practical section as he goes from the book. It's all practical. Uh, so don't tell me that chapters 1 through 5 are not practical when he teaches the gospel, the doctrine of justification by faith. But here we see two times in our text today that this word sanctification is used. And I think what Paul wants to teach us this morning is that although they are different... And although they are distinct, please note that justification and sanctification are different. Nevertheless, they go together. Faith alone goes with holiness. Faith alone, justification, through Christ alone or in Christ alone, goes with holiness. Really, what this is saying is that Jesus is one person. You can't divide up Jesus. There's not a part of Jesus that is justification and a part of Jesus that is sanctification. You really want to, you should commit to memory. You don't have to, but you really should. 1 Corinthians 1.30. You don't don't have to turn there right now, but 1 Corinthians 1.30 is one of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible. There's no division in Jesus. So the question is, are you with Jesus or are you not? If you're with Jesus, then he is your sanctification. And if you're with Jesus, then he is your righteousness. That's the key word when you talk about justification. You need to know about justification. So how how do I do that? Romans 1 through, through 4. Romans 1 through 4. But the key word about justification is righteousness. And Jesus Christ himself, he is our righteousness. He is our redemption and our sanctification. He is those three things because he is one thing. He is to us the wisdom of God. To the believer, Jesus Christ is precious. To the believer, Jesus is precious. Jesus is the treasure of the believer. Is he your treasure? Is he precious to you? Is he to you the very wisdom of God? You see, we we believe in doctrine. Doctrine is vitally important. But a person comes to Christ not because they pass a test on the doctrine of justification. And a person grows in Christ not because they pass a test on the doctrine of holiness or sanctification. No, a person comes to Christ because you find Jesus compelling and beautiful. And you see Him on the cross and you say, that's what I need. His death and His resurrection. Jesus is 
our sanctification and our righteousness. He is our justification. He is our sanctification. Don't, don't in any way hard and fast separate justification and sanctification. Just to try to say it one more way, Paul has been spending a lot of ink, and to us we would say a good many chapters and many verses talking about the righteousness of God. And now he begins to talk about holiness or sanctification. And he says these go together. Justification is by faith alone, and it is the foundation for our good works and for our holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You know that? Well, I've given you two things so far. Number one, slavery is the issue in this text. There, there's, by the way, there's only going to be two options. There's no neutrality. Not only did we say that slavery is the issue in this text, but we said, secondly, that justification and sanctification go together. Uh, faith alone goes with holiness. Now, there's something that I need to say here under this second point because it fuels it, and that is that we as Christians are not under law. We as Christians are not under law. Did you hear me? Now, look at verse 15. If for a moment I isolate one little phrase, if I isolate one phrase in verse 15, then it says this, we are not under law. Which correlates, which goes back to verse 14. You are not under law. That's not my words, that's Bible. That's Romans 6, 14 and 15. We're not talking about what your particular theology may be or whatever, if you even think along those lines, you may or may not, and that's fine. I'm simply saying we as Christians are not under law. Now we want to, of course, we compare Scripture with Scripture, and of course, uh, the Scripture plainly says that we are under the law of Christ, but for this passage and for our purposes today, it says two times, right in a row, bang, bang, we are not under law. You are not under the curse of the law. The law says, what does the law say? The law says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. The gospel says, it has been done. Now believe. Do you see the difference? One says, do this and you will live and do it all and do it perfectly. And you'll live. Dangle the carrot. Nobody's getting right that way. Do this and you will live. The other says, law, gospel. It has been done by God who sent his only son for us who are miserable failures over here. Now believe. We are not under law. We are not under the curse of, of the law. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in this book of the law. I mean, the question's really simple. Do you want a blessing or do you want a curse? Do you want the way of life and peace and true joy and happiness and true contentment? Or do you want to be under a curse? It's either a curse or a blessing. 
And the Bible says in Romans 8 that for believers, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no curse, no, none whatsoever. We are not under the law. And I think these two verses, 14 and 15 also, and maybe even ultimately speak about the fact that we're not under that law covenants, that old covenant. There is new power in the new covenants in the blood of Jesus Christ. As we remember when we take the Lord's Supper, this is uh, the blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, Jesus said. If you're not under law, then what's the... uh, Opposite, we are under grace. Is there grace in the Old Testament? Yes. Is there law in the New Testament? Yes. But we are not under law. We are under grace. Do you want God's salvation or do you want to work it out yourself? Hold your place here and turn back to John chapter 8. Those are my two main headings. Now I'm moving into maybe five application points. Let me remind you of the two headings real quick as you're in John chapter 8. Slavery is the issue in this. Okay, Romans 6, 15 through 23, slavery is the issue. Number two, justification and sanctification go together. Here's the first takeaway. You ready for this? The first takeaway. There will be no slaves of sin in heaven. There will be no slaves of sin in heaven. Please hear me. But don't take my word for it. Before we ever had this wonderful teaching that we see today from the Apostle Paul, Jesus was first. Jesus was first. John 8, 31. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, John 8, 33, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Let me read that again. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There will be no slaves of sin in heaven. There will be no slaves of sin in heaven. If you just notice in John 8, uh, 31 through 36, they are taken off guard, are they not? Did you see that? What are you talking about? We're Abraham's children. We've never been enslaved to anybody. Verse 33. We are free. We're the most free people in the world. It's been pointed out that those who freely, those who freely give themselves to the most sin, 
and to the most depravity and to the most wickedness are the same ones who will sometimes literally stand up with the loudest voice and say, we are free. We are liberated. We're truly free. And the ones who are saying that, not only these Jews, but today, to use the the, the clearest example, we today are obviously free enough to, to totally choose our own course. We're free enough to choose our own gender. Free to choose to be a he or a she or neither or, or maybe both. We are so free. And again, I say, as it has been pointed out, that those who freely give themselves the most to depravity and to wickedness are at the same time those who talk the loudest about liberty. But for them, liberty is an idol. And in fact, they are slaves because we are all slaves by birth into this fallen world. The whole point today of Romans 6 is that you are either you are either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. As we turn back there, you are either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. And there is no other option. There is no neutrality. There is no third way. And of course, his main point, let me say, dear brothers and sisters, his main point is to say, you are not any longer slaves to sin. This is so simple that you, that, you, that you miss it. This is really what he's trying to say. In one sense, this is his main point in 23 verses. Do you know that you're no longer a slave to sin? No, no, Christian, do you know that? Because that, that has the power to massively fuel your life. Do you know that through Jesus Christ, you're dead to sin? Through the death of Christ on the cross, that's the key. Because on the cross, the scripture actually says he died to sin. He had no sin, but nevertheless, he lived in this world. He was affected by sin and he died to sin. And if you're a Christian, when Jesus died on the cross, you died. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose with him and you were given the pledge of your future resurrection. Do you know that you're dead to sin? Here's the deal. If you're not dead to sin, then you're not a Christian. You see? If you are not a slave of righteousness and no longer a slave to sin, then you are not a Christian. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. As it's been said, are you a happy love slave of Jesus Christ? The one who alone, you know, the only person in the world who has true freedom is God. God alone is able to do whatever he wants to do. He alone has true freedom. And God alone, God the Son, uh, intentionally set aside his rights. Philippians chapter 2, taking what? Taking on the form of a bond servant, as the gospel tells us. Freedom is, freedom is an illusion. The, the, listen to me. The way we think about freedom in the West, I'm not, I don't mean primarily like the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. 
I'm talking about the way that we think about freedom in the West. Personal autonomy. Autonomy is madness. We are creatures. Creatures are by definition dependent. You are not self-determining. You do not chart your own course. We think about our future plans for ourselves. We talk to our children about what they want to do in terms of going to college. We think a lot about our own children in terms of their plans for college. And by the way, let's just be super careful that we're not helping them spend $100,000 and then wondering what happened when, when they come back to, from, from a place, not saying that's inherently bad to go there to certain places, but when they come back maybe at a 90% rate and either they've lost their faith or that they have really had a crisis. Because we're, we're thinking about our own future and we're thinking about our children and we think from the default notion we have this default notion of freedom that not only is not true, it's just flat out not biblical. The, our idea of free will and our idea of personal autonomy in the West, I'm not just talking about America, personal autonomy, self-determination, and I don't just mean the LGBTQ revolution. I mean this affects the church. We all swim in this water. We all think this way. It's not only just not true, it's not biblical. Freedom is limited. I mean, if you just simply think about it, your own freedom is so circumscribed by even the situation into which you were born. Freedom, in a sense, freedom is an illusion. Free will, as we often think about it, is not as biblical as we may think. Why? Because you have a master. And you can't even choose to serve or love God because your master's sin says, I'm not going to let you choose to become a Christian. Do you see? You see, why don't people worship God, as Leiter says? Why don't people worship Him as they should? Why aren't people sane? Why are people not sane? It's because sin is real. And heaven and hell are real. And Satan is real. You have a master. And you will do what your master says. And Paul rings forth with the good news. His primary emphasis here is not our slavery to sin, his primary emphasis is our freedom from sin and our freedom to become slaves of Christ. Sin will have no dominion over you. That's not a command in verse 14 when he says that sin will have no dominion over you. That's a promise for all those who are in Christ. He saved you, he will keep you. The one Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. All of this brings us back to Romans 5, 12 through 21. Romans 5, 12 through 21. This is my second takeaway and the others I think will be pretty quick. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Here's what I want to say about that. First of all, I said that there will be no slaves of sin in heaven. And then in Romans 5, 12 through 21, which is so, so, so important, we see this, that the most foundational distinction is not between slave and free. 
What's the most important, what are the most important categories in this world? What's the most important distinction in this world? Well, you wouldn't be thought crazy if you said, hey, this one is really important, and maybe it's even number one, the distinction between those who are slaves and those who are free. That, that, is, that matters, right? That affects your life, whether you are a free or a slave. But that's not at all the most important distinction. In fact, the most important distinction is Adam and Christ, Adam or Christ. You see, you can be, listen to me, you can be a slave in this life and be in Christ, and boy, you are free. Or you can be free in this life and remain in Adam, and you are a slave. Romans 5, 12 through 21 really goes together with our passage today. Because it says that the most foundational distinction is Adam and Christ. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, 5.14, 5.15. Please look there with me, 5.15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. Look at Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, Romans 5.20, grace abounded all the more. You can't read Romans and not come away with the thought that God's grace really is amazing. And if you really read Romans and if you really think about it, you think, well, it's actually more amazing than I, than I ever realized. And you haven't even, I mean, you don't even have to get to the doctrine of election yet in Romans chapter 9, just what you have already in justification. It's just but we've got to see our predicament. We've got to see our sinfulness. We've got to see that we are all in Adam. We've got to see that Adam is the representative for everyone in the human race. And we've got to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the representative for a new human race. Jesus Christ is the representative of a new human race. Jesus Christ represents many, many, many countless numbers of people throughout the history of the world. Adam represents literally everybody. We are all in Adam, and therefore, listen, we're all in Adam, therefore we don't just sin like Adam, we sin in Adam, and therefore we're doomed, and there is nothing we can do about it unless there's intervention. And so you are represented either by Adam or by Christ, and everything that is true of your head, of your leader, is true of you. And what Paul says here as he continues preaching the gospel is he says, you're new, you're in Christ. Paul is not preaching sinless perfection. He is clearly not saying that we no longer sin. He's saying we've been taken from this state to this state, 
from this realm to this realm. He rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians chapter 1. There is nothing at all in common between the domain of darkness and the kingdom of His beloved Son. These two shall never meet. But He rescued us. The idea is even one of violence there in Colossians 1. He transferred us from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light. Are you a slave of sin, my friend, or are you a slave of righteousness? Paul says, his main point is not even to ask that question. Paul says, you follow Jesus? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone? Do you find, as Pastor Ben prayed this morning, do you find that your righteousness is in Jesus Christ alone? Do you see Jesus dying on the cross for you because you are a wicked sinner doomed to hell? Do you see him rising from the dead? Do you see him ascending to heaven? Do you see him coming again? Paul's main point in all of this is to say you are new. You are in Christ. You are dead to sin. You have been transported from this realm to another realm. Therefore, does he have anything to say to us? Yes, he does. He said, if this is true of you, number one, do you know it's true? And then live like it's true because it's not a fiction. He is not saying in Romans 6, imagine this and then live as though it were true. It's true. It's true. Do you believe? Do you believe on at Golgotha? Do you, I'm asking you, do you believe at Calvary that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died for the sins of the world, even for all of those in human history who would ever believe, who would ever repent? Do you believe that? Well, if you're a Christian, then when he died, you died. And when he rose, we participated in it. So therefore, you're dead to sin. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Stop yielding yourself to sin. Not to earn God's favor, not from a place of defeat, but from a place of victory. A place of victory, not of your own making, but through Jesus Christ. From a place of victory. Romans 6, you're alive for the first time ever. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm free. I will reckon myself dead to sin and I will consider myself alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin will have no dominion over me. I will recognize that I will sin daily. I will recognize that Jesus taught me to confess and turn from my sins daily. I will recognize that I will only be completely free from sin in the world to come when Jesus comes again. But I will also recognize that I am a saint in Jesus Christ and I will yield myself to him for his glory. Slaves of righteousness. You are really free. The only true freedom is to be enslaved to Christ. That's what you were made for. It's the only true freedom to be enslaved to Christ and to live joyfully as slaves of Christ. Let's conclude by reading the scripture. Verse 20 of Romans 6. Verse 20. For when you were, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
Yeah, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word as it teaches us about healthy doctrine. Help us to keep doctrine and devotion together. Thank you for your word as it teaches us about behavior. Help us to keep belief and behavior together. And Lord, help us to look to Christ, to consider him who is our captain, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. May we rest in Jesus. May we rejoice in Jesus. May we freely yoke ourselves as slaves to the greatest master that we could ever serve. Thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.